Bowing the knee for left-wing political causes became a national trend, but a coach who bowed the knee for prayer was fired. That's the case currently before the U.S. Supreme Court that we'll discuss today. Plus, we'll hear more powerful encouragement from Gen Z leader Isabel Brown, who talks about how parents can help their kids navigate this confusing culture. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. You know, with everything going on in Virginia the last few weeks, we never got a chance to talk about another big court decision besides the abortion one expected in June. And that is this case involving the high school football coach, Coach Joe Kennedy from the state of Washington. Yeah, the official name of this case is Kennedy v. Bremerton School District. But the coach's personal story is really fascinating. He was a former Marine who was not even considering planning to coach when the school actually just offered him this job. But what's really interesting is he watched that movie. Now, maybe you've seen it. I've seen it. Facing the Giants, right? So it's this great sports God-inspired movie, and God just tugged on his heart. So let's just listen to him describe that story in his own words in this video produced by our friends at First Liberty Institute, and that's the legal group that's actually representing him. And that's the way I wanted to coach is, you know, be part of their lives and help build that team. And so I was up in the middle of the night, and it was like a sign from God, boom, you know, facing the Giants was on. Keep going, Brock! Come on! And it was, you know, straight up in answer to my prayers of, yeah, I'm calling you to coach. And that was it. I I was all in. I'll just note, you can watch the entire video and hear his story at firstliberty.org. But, you know, in some ways, what has happened to this coach is almost like its own sort of facing the Giants type of movie. Because one of the ways that he felt like he was obeying God's you know, conviction in his life was to immediately after every game, give thanks to our Lord for the opportunity to coach. And he was just doing this out of personal conviction and doing it by himself for a few seconds at the 50 yard line. He would do that after the games while the students were distracted with other things, like maybe they were singing their fight song or something like that. But eventually the students noticed and just started joining him voluntarily. And then even opposing teams started paying attention and commenting on it in a positive way. People just were admiring that. Yeah, but unfortunately, the result of all that, I guess all the public attention or whatever, actually spooked the school officials who warned him to stop praying in public because they, I think, got afraid that they were going to get accused of endorsing religion. And so the coach tried to comply at first. I mean, he tried to go along with it, but he honestly, he felt like he was disobeying God. And so eventually he just went back out there alone. And this time, though, students and people from the stands just came out to join him spontaneously. So he hadn't asked them to do that. So I think it's kind of ironic, actually, that the school district's efforts to stop him from praying and being this public expression of prayer actually resulted in it increasing. That's where I thought it was kind of like a movie in itself where he stops and then he comes back out and everybody comes down from the stands, you know, they should just do a movie on that. Um, But unfortunately, the coach was eventually fired when he refused to acquiesce to the school's demand that he basically find a place to pray where he couldn't be seen. So it's it's almost like the Daniel story in a way. Um, But that turned into a six-year legal battle that made it to the Supreme Court a few days ago where they had the hearing, and we expect a decision in June. 
Yeah, I mean, what's at stake in this case gets down to questions about whether public school coaches and teachers really have any significant First Amendment rights when it comes to living out their faith and expressing it in public. If a school employee, for example, just says a, a brief prayer, for example, a private prayer, and students see that person doing it, is that expression protected by the First Amendment? Or does the Establishment Clause, which restricts the government from endorsing religion, prohibit something like that? Those are the kind of questions that the justices are really considering in this. And one thing about this case, it just brought into sharp focus this larger cultural battle that we are seeing over religious freedom. Because on the one hand, you've got the coach being represented by one of the nation's largest religious liberty legal groups. That's First Liberty Institute that we mentioned And then the Bremerton School District is being represented by one of the most radical left-wing groups out there, the Americans United for Separation of Church and State. So you kind of have that microcosm of that culture clashed right there in court at the highest court in the land. Yeah, pretty much all came to a head right there in the court hearing between the school district's lawyer and actually Justice Samuel Alito. Let's just listen to that. Now, you're talking about this in relation to the free speech clause. But the petitioner also has a free exercise clause claim. So if on that set of facts the school district were to say, you can go out to the center of the field and you can kneel down to protest the Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine or make a statement about climate change or about racial justice or any other issue that is of interest to you but you can't pray, would that be consistent with the free exercise clause? The school district not, not the school district doesn't have a substantial interest in discriminating, um, it, it, but it is also the case that the school district gets to script its event. So the question has to be um, whether he is. It has to start with whether he's acting as a, as a government official or not. I take it from the example uh, that uh, that you gave, uh, Justice uh, Justice Alito, that um, the the players aren't around. There's not a concern about pressure. But it is the case that if if the players were, for instance, the school district has ample authority, whether it's religious coercion or political coercion or social coercion to adopt any particular view. The school district has I, I, I a take legitimate it your interest. Your that question is they couldn't discriminate uh, based on the religious or secular motivation of what the coach did? Correct. Yeah, I have to say, I think the attorney sounded a little flustered. But I mean, ultimately, it's Justice Alito is making a great point. Is it going to be, would it be okay, would the school district be fine with it if somebody went out there and actually just bowed a knee, uh, say, in honor of Black Lives Matter, rather than taking a knee to pray? Is bowing down in public only appropriate for politically approved causes, but not for prayer? Exactly. And I also heard someone making an interesting comment that the leftists seem especially concerned about this specter of students being coerced into prayer, but not so much concerned when it comes to coercing kindergartners into experimenting with transgenderism. You know, when it comes to that, oh, then we're crying censorship. Well, the good news is we actually have a unique opportunity to hear a firsthand account of Coach Kennedy's court hearing because I'm happy to announce that we're actually having the president of First Liberty Institute, Kelly Shackelford, come out to speak at one of our events, a Virginia Beach luncheon, on June 7th. So great opportunity there. If folks are interested in learning about that or getting information about that luncheon, they can just hit our website up at familyfoundation.org, and there's a, you know, a banner across the top they can click on to get all the details. 
Thanks for tuning in if you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. Well, as promised, today we're bringing you the remaining highlights from our event featuring Isabel Brown, a powerful leader for the Gen Z generation and contributor for Turning Point USA. I will mention that Isabel does get into some of the sexuality promotion happening in our schools that you may not want younger ears to hear. Without further ado, let's hear from Isabel. So let's jump right in and start with the obvious, where I think the culture war really did start, and that is indoctrination in schools. Many of you have a copy of my book in your hands, which I'm so excited for you to read, just to understand that this isn't happening in political science or ethnic studies or gender studies anymore. This is happening in physiology and anatomy and organic chemistry, which I took three times because it was the worst class ever. And if you ever have a child in OCHEM, please pray for them. It's the worst class. Uh, but I remember being in physiology learning about the nine months of fetal development, every tiny thing that has to go right for a baby to make it to the point of viability, which we know is changing every day, only to be told at the end of that unit that abortion wasn't ending a genetically unique human life and was likely a medical procedure that many of us going to medical school would be forced to perform even if we ideologically disagreed with it. In a eukaryotic cellular biology class, yeah, that's a mouthful right there, uh, we took a multiple choice exam my sophomore year where I actually had to choose against an answer choice saying that God was the creator of the universe. The question essentially said, what are the origins of the universe? And the correct answer choice was, it all spontaneously erupted from a single cell billions of years ago. But a choice on this test was that God created the universe. And if you chose that question, you were marked incorrectly. And we We've seen this just explode to levels beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding on college campuses. I was dealing with this just a few years ago, from 2015 to 2019, getting the Fs on papers and dealing with bad grades in classes because of the backlash of professors. But the dangerous thing about what we've seen on college campuses is that those ideas never stay on college campuses. They graduate with students out into the real world. And that looks like corporate boardrooms, the halls of Congress, but unfortunately, it also looks like classrooms in levels below college campuses as the next generation of teachers have been indoctrinated with these ideas. It's why critical race theory, literally telling children, if you are white, you are the oppressor and you will inherently be evil for the rest of your life, and telling black young children in America today, you will never be successful because of the percentage of melanin in your skin and because of people who look differently from you, is happening in classrooms across the country. It's why we are starting to teach five-year-olds that their gender may not be inherently tied to their genitalia. Why we're speaking about this with five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, I have no idea. It's why districts like the Chicago Public Schools District that largely leads the way with a lot of this insanity, they were the first school district to implement the 1619 Project for reference in CRT, announced a few months ago that they would be providing free condoms to all students in public schools starting in fifth grade in the classroom. We're talking about, what, 11-year-olds, 10, 11-year-olds? 
This is happening at levels beyond our comprehension, not just in college, on college campuses, but in high school classrooms, in middle school classrooms, and even in preschools and daycares with the number one consistently best-selling baby book being Anti-Racist Baby, written by our friend Ibram X. Kendi, whose real name, by the way, is Henry Rogers. I wonder why he changed his name. Just found that out a few weeks ago. Or even The Gay BCs, very popular children's book today, talking about your gender identity and why that should be fluid and changing and why you shouldn't even trust your parents to tell you what gender is. It's why we've seen the absolute insane outrage over the Florida bill, over this propaganda that somehow it has to do with not saying the word gay, when in reality, you don't even need to read the bill if you pull it up on your internet browser and click Control F and search G-A-Y, it's nowhere in the bill, shockingly. And now a dozen other states have started to do the same. So why is all of this happening? I think this is happening largely from the gender perspective because the left is very, very skilled at playing the long game. They know exactly how to plant all the right seeds to see things come to fruition five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road. It's why they went after college campuses first and made those leftist elite institutions because they knew those ideas would never just stay there. They would graduate and infiltrate the rest of American culture. Now they realize that if they can convince the next generation, Generation Z, which actually ends at about 2002, 2003 being born, so Gen Alpha comes after that, pray for them, they are the children of millennials and they very much need our help. <laughs> they realize that if they can convince these children at five, six, seven, eight, 16 years old, that perhaps the most innate thing about them, their gender, their biology, the thing that affects their perspective on the world, how they respond to stress, what they're passionate about, who they're attracted to, if they can somehow convince those children that that was actually something oppressively thrust upon them by a nefarious adult, they can convince them of anything. And everything we've seen with indoctrination in America leading up to this point is truly child's play compared to what we are up against today. And I think where the conservative movement is going wrong, as I mentioned at the beginning of this speech, is that we aren't going to where culture is. We're sitting back and we're watching culture evolve and we're seeing all of these things happening and years down the line opening our eyes saying, oh my goodness, how could we possibly have let America get to this point? Things are starting to change with groups like the Family Foundation and Turning Point USA, who I work with every day, but this needs to happen en masse. We as conservatives can't be afraid to go on offense. We as Christians can't be afraid to go on offense. Maybe it starts with having simple conversations around the dinner table with your children and your grandchildren while they are kids about political ideology and religion. I grew up with two Catholic lawyers as parents, okay? And when I was growing up, my parents never believed in a kid's table. I talk about this in an entire chapter in my book. They always educated us on who was running for president and what was the biggest issue facing them on a day-to-day -day basis. Not just telling us their perspective, but saying, here's what your dad and I believe, here's what other people believe, this is the entire spectrum of the argument, now go understand it so that you can decipher truth for yourself, the opposite of indoctrination, which is what the next generation is getting. Talk about this at Thanksgiving dinner and Easter dinner 
dinner, Christmas, when your extended family is over. Those conversations can be uncomfortable, I know, I've been there, but they are so important to understand not just where our country is at and equip the next generation with the tools to deal with that, but to understand the humanity in one another, where we can be our best and where we are currently being failed. I love what Isabel said about how important the family dinner table is and those conversations that you have with your kids and letting them share their thoughts and reacting so you can have real dialogue around these issues because that's what it's going to take to help work through these things with the younger generation and for us to understand them and how they come at things too. Well, thanks for joining us today at Speak Up Virginia. And if you want to check out more information from us, go to our website at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. And remember, we're stronger when we speak together. 